You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the second Data Cert podcast on GRC topics with one of our resident experts, Daniel Dewan. As senior product manager for GRC, Daniel leads the effort to define and evolve Data Cert's GRC product functionality based on market feedback. In our first podcast with Daniel, he talked about building the foundation for a unified governance, risk, and compliance management program. Today, Daniel will focus on the intersection between GRC and legal within organizations and the implications of that for GRC processes and the technology needed to support those. So, Daniel, from our earlier podcast, I recall that you have a master's in artificial intelligence and you shared a little about your experience working with clients on their implementations of risk and compliance automation, including a large credit ratings agency that was putting in place a comprehensive GRC program. Could you also tell us a little about your background with the corporate legal side of things? Sure. So I spent five years working with a professional services organization that implemented matter management and e-billing solutions for corporate legal departments. My clients were primarily Fortune 100 companies in industries ranging from healthcare and pharmaceuticals to insurance and financial services. It was through that exposure I got my first experience with legal GRC. So many of these companies' legal departments were tracking matter types for compliance topics like FCPA investigations, or they had practice areas dedicated to specialized GRC functions like global security and loss prevention. FCPA, that's the U.S. Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, correct? That's right. So that's a U.S. federal law with anti-bribery provisions that apply to any company with connections to the United States. So there seems to be this ongoing debate over what group in a company should have ownership of GRC, mostly centered on whether GRC and legal belong together in an organization or whether they should be independent. What have you observed in companies that you've worked with? How have they addressed this? Well, you know, I think this question is actually getting at two different questions. The first being who should own GRC and the second being more specifically who should own compliance. GRC is inherently cross-functional, with various aspects being owned by finance, IT, legal, the business, and others. So while OSEG, the Open Compliance and Ethics Group, and other thought leaders recommend a cross-functional GRC oversight team, there typically won't be a chief GRC officer responsible for GRC efforts across all these areas. Compliance, however, is one specific aspect of GRC, and it's much easier to nail down in terms of ownership. The Chief Compliance Officer, or CCO, is the person ultimately responsible for the ethics and compliance program, and that person might or might not report through legal. One argument that we're hearing a lot of lately is that the CCO and the General Counsel, or the GC, have different responsibilities, and that these responsibilities sometimes come into conflict with each other. So consider, for example, that the GC is tasked with avoiding legal risk, while the CCO is responsible for exposing and remediating compliance gaps. This line of reasoning is at the forefront of a trend toward a more independent CCO, but at this point we still see about a 50-50 split between CCOs that report through legal and those that don't. So ultimately, the right organizational structure is going to be different from one organization to the next. So the fact that many companies do combine GRC, at least the compliance aspect, and legal functions in a single department would suggest that there is some functional overlap. Oh, absolutely. When it comes to creating an ethical and compliant corporate culture, the roles of the chief compliance officer and the general counsel often overlap. Regardless of where compliance ownership resides, the corporate legal team is essential to fulfilling a variety of compliance programs and objectives. 
And moving beyond compliance, the legal team is also going to be vital in broader GRC activities like risk assessment related to business development, for example. So in its GRC capability model, which is also known as the Red Book, OSEG explicitly calls out the chief legal officer as one of the management roles for which specific GRC responsibilities should be defined. And so those responsibilities include things like leading the legal risk assessment process, uh, approving policies and controls to assure compliance with legal requirements, overseeing and sometimes conducting investigations, and ensuring the protection of privilege where it's appropriate. So what are some of the ways that legal staff participate in a GRC program? Well, you know, there are actually a variety of ways, but some of the more common ones include sourcing legal opinions on regulatory requirements, um, assessing regulatory risks, signing off on policies and procedures. Uh, we see more and more of legal participation in third-party contract management and due diligence. And maybe one of the most common overlaps is the legal team litigating cases related to compliance incidents. So, Daniel, in organizations where GRC and legal functions are separate, what does the company need to do to ensure that these dependencies are addressed? Well, to start, they need to establish a collaborative relationship between the functions and to have the appropriate communication protocols and processes in place. That's going to be true no matter where the functions sit within the organization. Do the GRC and legal teams need to be using the same technology solutions? Well, not necessarily. But the GRC and legal technology solutions have to comprehend that collaborative relationship between legal and the larger GRC program, and they have to support shared process and information. So if the solutions aren't built on the same technology platform, then at a minimum, they should work seamlessly together to enable cross-functional workflows and the exchange of information throughout joint legal and GRC projects. But the fact of the matter is that the extensive process overlap between GRC and legal requires more than a loose integration based on notifications and one-way triggers between platforms. It really requires a robust collaborative environment where legal and GRC users can participate in integrated workflows and share volumes of structured and unstructured data. And that level of collaboration is really going to be best achieved using a single technology platform. So, Daniel, to be clear about how processes and technology need to support GRC and legal collaboration, can you perhaps give us a few specific examples? Sure. So consider, for example, that outside counsel often need to be consulted for interpretation and guidance, say on how a regulation applies to a company, uh, what the implications are to business operations, or specific compliance requirements in a particular situation. So if you recall in our last podcast, I mentioned the example of tightly regulated pharmaceutical marketing claims. Yes, we talked about the value of having standard processes for review of advertising programs to help get to market quicker, but still ensure compliance. That's right. So if a pharmaceutical company's GRC and legal systems are integrated, then the advertising review workflow can seamlessly incorporate notification to legal of the action required and the date needed. The legal matter management system will have data on outside counsel with specific regulatory specialties and workflows for engaging the right counsel for the job. So now if the two systems share document management, then that outside counsel's opinion on an ad that's governed by, say, an FDA rule can be not only captured in the matter management system, but also tied back to the FDA rule in the GRC system and made available for future reference and uh, available to other downstream compliance processes. So this enables the company to prevent duplicative work every time an ad needs to be reviewed, and it ensures that its advertising practices are consistent and compliant so that the company avoids unnecessary risk. 
But what's also interesting about this example is that the opinion is now added to the GRC knowledge base. So it's available for downstream processes like policy management. So the policy management staff have access to this opinion to inform their policy development. And what's further interesting about this is that policy management is yet another area where we might see some interaction with legal, specifically when it comes time for those policies to be reviewed and approved. Daniel, you also mentioned third-party due diligence. Could you please talk a little bit more about how legal is involved in that? Sure. So when a company wants to bring on a third party, a supplier, for example, a number of conditions need to be satisfied, and these will likely involve multiple legal professionals. So first, the legal department might be involved with the compliance team in conducting third-party risk assessment and due diligence to determine the corruption risk of that third party. Based on the outcome of that investigation, legal might play a role in approving the third-party relationship. And finally, the legal staff will almost certainly be in charge of drafting the contract, which includes all the appropriate compliance terms and conditions based on the findings produced from the due diligence process. So how can technology support those activities? Well, technology integration in the form of shared workflows and rules, automated notifications, a common database, and shared document management clearly comes into play here to help streamline all these processes. The system's shared audit and logging capabilities can also create an audit trail for all these activities, and common reporting capabilities can provide status of outstanding reviews and assessments. So those are two clear areas where GRC and legal staff need to collaborate. Now, there are also compliance matters that end up in litigation or matters that relate to an investigation, correct? Yes. So in that case, the sooner the legal team knows about the compliance incident, the better. And a shared technology platform supports that early notification across functions. But it doesn't stop at notification. There also needs to be some degree of cross-functional visibility as the investigation unfolds. So litigators need easy access to any information gathered by investigators or other staff involved in handling the incident on the compliance side. And members of the incident or compliance management teams also need a clear picture of the results of any legal action and associated legal costs. So this might be the clearest illustration of the benefits of integration between GRC and legal matter management systems. Using rules in the GRC system, Incident triage can trigger notification to the legal matter management system or even the creation of a legal matter. And so this gives legal staff that early warning of a potential new litigation matter. In addition, any evidence gathered during incident or loss investigation can be stored in a common document management system and tied to the appropriate matter. So that way, if litigation ensues, legal staff can access the investigation findings to date and prepare their case. Are there similar benefits of integration for the compliance team? Yes. Uh, analytics and reporting from the matter and spend management system can provide a feedback loop to GRC staff by giving them data on outcomes. So that would include judgments, damages, uh, legal costs of litigation, and then tying that data to the initiating incident. That gives them a more complete accounting of the full cost of compliance breaches. So overall, with the legal and GRC systems working together, you eliminate gaps in communication, information sharing, and cost management for compliance incidents. Judging from the examples you've described, it definitely sounds like ensuring that there is a collaborative relationship between GRC and legal should be a priority for a company's GRC strategy. 
and that enabling the legal and GRC systems to work together is a key part of that. Is that right? That's right. Without that collaboration, you risk creating another silo, another silo that stands in the way of achieving optimal efficiency, transparency, and effectiveness. So in order to create the closed loop between GRC and legal functions that we've talked about in some of the examples, the legal and GRC management systems have to provide a tight communications link and the capabilities to streamline processes and facilitate information sharing. It's surprising, but there are actually very few solutions, even enterprise GRC platforms, that adequately account for the legal function's role in GRC. And simply adding software features to a GRC solution to support legal's role isn't enough. Daniel, as we've talked, you've touched a lot on the ways that technology can support the legal and GRC intersection. So if even enterprise GRC platforms don't always provide what's needed, what would you say are the main considerations that companies should be taking into account when they're looking at technology solutions? Well, first, recognize that legal departments have their own set of requirements for technology. And those requirements intersect, but also go beyond those for GRC, and vice versa. So the answer is a solution based on a broader technology platform, one that enables integration of enterprise class legal matter and spend management and also GRC management systems. One that provides shared infrastructure components, including things like workflow engine, rules engine, notifications, document management, database, audit and logging, and of course, reporting. So to kind of summarize what we've talked about today, you've proposed that the intersection of legal and GRC is in fact a crucial consideration for organizations as they are building their GRC program and as they want to imp implement a technology solution that will optimize their GRC program effectiveness. What's the downside if they don't take this intersection into account? Well, I'd say that absent effective collaboration between GRC and legal, the organization is ultimately exposing itself to additional costs and increased risk. So more specifically on the cost front, it has to contend with poor utilization of resources, uh, duplication of effort, having an SME in the legal department that fails to add value to a compliance investigation because of an unnecessary silo. It also sacrifices agility and competitiveness, so taking longer than its competitors to responsibly onboard new vendors or to operationalize new regulatory requirements in a new market. And so then on the risk front, the organization increases its exposure through lack of visibility. So each time the legal team gets late notification of a compliance issue that could become a litigation matter, or when all the information pertinent to that litigation matter doesn't make it to the legal team in a timely way. And with lack of visibility, there's also the risk of failing to measure and assess the effectiveness of the GRC program, which we know is becoming increasingly important. And finally, with decreased visibility into the cost of noncompliance and other key metrics sourced by the legal department, the organization suffers from a general inability to steer its course toward a more mature and effective GRC program. Daniel, thanks for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you. If you found this podcast to be informative, please watch for our next DataCert Expert podcast, which will focus on the challenges faced by companies as they work to ensure compliance with anti-corruption laws. And if you missed our first Meet the Experts podcast with Daniel, you can download it on iTunes by going to DataCert's Meet the Experts channel or visit DataCert.com.
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too.